Hello, welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hello, welcome back. And uh, we also have our special guest. Uh, today, we're actually going to talk with Matt McNamara about his experiences and a little bit about coaching. Is that right? Hi, Matt. Uh, hello. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm excited. Should be fun. Cool. So I'm going to actually talk about Matt in front of him for a little bit. Um, <laughs> So I want to talk about his CV a little bit. We'll get started with his background and maybe convince you that he, you know, the information he has is, is worthwhile. So uh, first, you have a kinesiology degree from CU Boulder. Um, that's probably the place to get it if you want to do cycling-specific stuff. Um, you're a USAC cycling level one coach. Um, you ha also have the elite certification. So level one is the highest certification from USA cycling. Right. And then there's uh, the power cert and then, uh, the skills instructor cert. Okay. Which means I can, I can teach the skills to other coaches so then they Whoa. can teach the skills. So it's like two extra layers of cool. Okay. And also you were two times the director of the junior national team at the junior tour of Ireland, yes. which is the premier or one of the premier. Junior. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's a six stage race in Ireland. that has been going on since the mid seventies. Uh, and the list of people that have done it is impressive and it's just a great fun single hotel. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, wheel and spoke, go out and do some great stages in the Irish countryside. It's very nice. And also the experience of coaching probably the highest level of us junior riders as well. Uh, the, probably the, the world cup guys are higher as far as like, we bring these guys from a talent camp. There's a West coast team and an East coast team. And so we just get to pick riders from our camps to bring. Uh, and actually this year, um, I ended up taking one of the East coast guys cause they had a, an abundance of really good riders and we had a spot available. So, um, one of my riders was actually an East coast rider, uh, but you know, good riders. I mean, they're all, I think a good analogy, a uh, guy came and talked at the USAC talent camp last year. He was a pro. And he likened it to, you know, it's a good, hard, fast Cat 3 stage race where every stage is, from my experience, kind of 100 kilometers and they go kind of 40 kilometers an hour. So okay. it's pretty fast and they're narrow roads. It's really cool. So it's it's an eye opener for most of the kids. Yeah, I bet. Uh, <laughs> and, well, and that's so different than US, you know, USA racing is big roads, uh, middle of nowhere, um, not the European tight road stuff. Yeah, same as like Libidibis, from what I hear, Libidibis sort of big freeway out, big freeway back. And this is really, you know, narrow bridges. It rained a bit last year. It was really just good. Uh, like it felt totally European classic. Nice. The, I think it was the second mm -hmm. stage. Oh, that's a great development uh, opportunity for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun from the car. We have, they give you a driver and we had to go follow around. It, mm -hmm. it was a blast watching those kids just suffer. So uh, <laughs> the, you're also one of the original founders of the USA Cycling Beginner Racer Program Curriculum. So they, there's now a national beginner racer curriculum and you helped design that. Um, you're also 10 time USA cycling junior talent ID camp, uh, director. Uh, correct? no, just one of the coaches, usually okay. three coaches on site. And so that's uh, but, uh, yeah, it's like 10 or 12 years now. So regionally their USA cycling puts on a camp for junior riders, I think mm -hmm. up to U 23. Is that correct? Yeah. Most of the kids end up being sort of in that 14 to 18 range, mm -hmm. but we have had some over twenties, a couple over twenties. Most of them end up in that 14 to 17, right in that pipeline. You know, they have some riding experience. We've had a lot of mountain bikers come through, and that's been great. Um, in fact, some, at least a couple of the riders on both the junior tours came as mountain bikers with not much road racing experience, but big engines and quick learners. And so they adapted pretty well. Um, so we get riders from all over. Yeah, it's regional, but you can go to any camp in the U.S. We try to go, we get a lot of draw from SoCal. Um, there's, you know, four or five good junior teams in the region that are great about sending riders to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Sean Wilson's group down in, in North or in SoCal. Um, I can think of three or four others back in the day when Larry Nolan, uh, was the camp director, the specialized kids come through. So it's great. Cause you know, you start seeing these kids filter the way up to the next level and it's really fun because they get out and, you know, Oh, I knew that kid when he was, you know, 14 and you know, they show something at camp. Every kid shows something at camp if they stay and they stay focused. Um, and then to see those kids go on. And like last, we went to the junior shore this last summer. It was tons of kids that I already knew that had been through camp when they were young, 14, 15. And now they're on junior team, 16, 17, 18 years old. And maybe their second time going to Ireland. And, you know, the maturity of the kids, it's just great. We probably had 25 or 30 kids at the junior shore that we had known previously, which was really wow. neat. And lastly, right now you are the Penvelo Peninsula Velo head coach, which is actually Todd's team. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Presented and, by Summit Bicycles. Yeah, got to get the sponsor name in there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Summit's been great. So, uh, yeah, everything we do for those guys are cool. And um, you guys got second in... Bat. Yeah, the that's the USA Cycling. Um, yeah. nas- that's the national level. No, like, it's, well, it's NorCal okay. best all-around team okay. competition. So they have a team rating system in NorCal, and you guys yeah. got second in your level. A little grumpy because you wanted first. Well, Thirsty Bear is really good. I mean, they, so, you know, Pin Velo is a great program. It's been around for a long time. I really, we try and take a little bit of the attitude that foundationally, we, you know, it's like an old school club a little bit. There's a great base of support, and then we have a race team that comes together really well every year. Um, but the, the key is sort of that, that community thing and we're real development focused. So Pinville works great for that. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, the bat is, it's nice to go again, but you know, Thirsty Bear has, I don't know what their roster is, but I think they're like 60% current or former national champions. Hmm. That I could be 10%. I don't know, but they seem like they got a lot of stripes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, to, to be able to compete with those guys is really fun, but um, we want to beat them this year. So. So I guess I, I have a few questions written down and we'll let the conversation flow how it flows. Are you going to ask Todd any questions? Because he hasn't really said anything for minutes. That's all, that's all good. It's just the intro. Just, okay. Yeah, know, yeah. Loosen everybody up a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I mean, the biggest thing was we, we have to convince people that uh, I actually know something. Yeah. Okay. Matt's has 25 years coaching experience, very uh, knowledgeable, very wide berth of experiences. And I think that lends to a high capacity to coach a variety of athletes, which is something probably that's okay. unique to you relative to a lot of younger coaches or I've managed to get a lot of cool things done on a lot of different in a lot of different arenas. So yeah, and, and you know when I sit down and you write something like a CV or start to put it together, you're like, oh wow, that was really cool. And then you'll forget two or three other things you're like, oh, those are really cool too. So I've been really fortunate to do fun things and always try to stay at the front of whatever's coming as far as certifications and continuing education and USAC has a with distinction a badge that you can have attached to your name if all of your CEUs are earned through actual participation CEUs they have the option you can sort of buy your CEUs okay anyway um, so yeah with distinction I do all my CEUs through camps and clinics and stuff with kids so hmm. um, so I'd, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a full-time coach just uh day-to-day life like um you know most people are nine to five and you you know you have clients that's uh your main income source is that correct and uh-huh. what is it like to you know to to coach people all day um you know it's it's a lot of fun in that it's every every athlete's their own challenge and so trying to stay ahead of the athletes thinking about sort of the mental side of what's going to be next to do coach paired with the um, you know, good power prescription, good power advice, good use of their technologies if they're on technology. Same thing with heart rate, right? Trying to, you know, get take a rider from, oh, I can't really control my heart rate, it goes wherever, to get him to ride steady state in a three-beat range for 30 minutes. So there's always a little fight to be won with every athlete pretty much every day. Um, I, the variety, I think, is maybe the main thing. The hard part about going to a real job is, I presume, even if it's different every day, the foundations are sort of the same, which I guess coaching is. But, you know, today was everything from writing a blog post involved reading a, a, a study to trying to coordinate team camp, which is coming up for Peninsula Velo in a couple of weeks, and, you know, set up training that's effective for the riders. And we have um, we have 100 riders on the race team, and about 25 or 30 go to camp, so you want those riders to come to camp and have a good experience. So you just have to plan and, you know, try to be ahead of the curve. And if you're ahead of your athlete all the time, uh, you're doing pretty good. So I can't, I don't, I don't really like writing, you know, a month ahead for athletes that I'm, you know, if it's someone I'm kind of casually working with on, on a, an intermediate or beginner level of involvement with a coach, then, you know, we kind of work together to find a plan that works for them. And, and that plan's not always the same. I always, always try to change it up, but there's a consistency to that development of a beginner rider versus a, a rider. One of my riders um, had a really interesting off-season project, and he wanted to ride X watts for for a hundred miles, mm. like four four watts a kilogram, almost five watts a kilogram for four hours. And physiologically, he could do it. So it was a really interesting project to try to put it together because he has a normal job and goes to work and stuff. So limited time and. He got within, I think he got 90 miles before the leg cramps kind of settled Whoa. in. Because in training, he had done it in training. He'd done, I don't know, 290 or something forever. Um, and he comes back and he's, he's, 
we looked at the files afterwards is because he could stand on the regular ride on the one on the TT bike. He was in the same position all the time. His legs just went out because uh. he didn't stand enough. So he stood like 25% of time in the first one and not in the second, hence hmm. the overload on the legs. But it, as an example, those kind of problems come up and that's fun for me. I like that. Stuff. Yeah. And so you, you have to use a lot of your own experiences and your own understanding of how the human body works. Is that well, correct? Yeah. Which is part of the reason I try to stay ahead. Cause for example, the, the, the zone two study that's sort of all the rage and I wrote a blog post about is a great example of sort of what was old becomes new again. But then the explanation that came from the guys that wrote it is such that, you know, they, they spun it in a way that had a nice, it was a novel approach, even though you knew specifically about type muscle, muscle recruitment, type one, type two, where, you know, we all know that carbohydrate um, is uh, an anaerobic energy source in that there's lactate produced. Well, so fat is a non-lactate produced energy source. So the goal is, you know, try to optimize that fat utilization longer in a cycle. So the science of it, and then to try to plug that into a project with an athlete. So, you know, what's the right prescription to get that response? Hmm. Um, and with the zone two stuff, I look at it sort of, again, longitudinally for the athlete and say, okay, most of my athletes are, you know, 30 to 60. Well, maturationally, their life's changing and they need, you know, we want to try to maximize that efficiency and that healthy, vibrant cellular work because as you get older, it, it goes away, man. It's just inevitable. So there's so many varieties of what you could attach to, to coaching in a given day, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I actually imagine your job is probably not terribly different than mine as a physical therapist. It's like the same right. problem solving right, right. with different people that are coming through the office and you know, having a plan for them and adjusting the plan as you, as you go. Yeah. And, and that's the fun thing. And, and I think it's, that's where, you know, maybe the structure of a regular office job is actually, there's a sick part of me that's appealed, that finds that appealing. At the same time, um, uh, I'm curious, you know, as far as when you're in there doing that and that expression of creativity, mm-hmm. I mean, I presume it's basically the same. It's taking what you know and actually applying it to an outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where we talk about in PT or is the difference between the science and the art, right? The mm-hmm. science is all those principles that you know that you learned in school, you read mm-hmm. in the research articles, and then the, the art is applying it to the, mm-hmm. the patient or the client or the athlete in front of you to try to get the outcome that they desire. Yeah, it sounds exactly the same. Yeah, uh, and actually I consider PT, but uh, it was a lot more school and I'm not that smart, so <laughs> I chose to get out early and, and just hoof uh, uh, it. Fair, fair enough. Although <laughs> it seems like you know your your physiology and, and yeah, did you get an honorary all, all degree? pretty well. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm hoping someone's like we wanted to give you an honorary PhD because I don't know who's going to give it to me though. I did some graduate stuff at, at San Jose State, um, and you can edit this out because it's really it's terrible and I'm embarrassed to say it. But I didn't want to finish the graduate degree at San Jose State. I worked at San Jose at the time, so it was a free graduate degree because I was a prissy little baby who thought Colorado's the best and why would I go to San Jose State? And San Jose State has a really, really, really good program, but I was a little sort of high on like my hmm. awesomeness when I well, was younger. Well, that's pretty common to, I mean, you embraced Boulder a little too well, I think might be. It's easy to embrace happened. Boulder too well. Yeah. It's easy I mean, to leave too after you've gotten over the embracing. You're like, okay, I'm done with Boulder. So. Yeah. So North Cal's fine. <laughs> well, I guess it's funny because you are self-employed. So, right? you know, what's like your employer doesn't need to know about your degree. Right. So it's very pure in the like, I'm using my knowledge to help my athletes and, you know, I acquire clients and I help them get better. It's it's very pure and it's you don't have to convince someone to pay you a salary and uh, things like that. Well, it's the, the co- I mean, the coaching realm. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, I'd have to convince people to, to continue to coach with you over time, which different athletes have different requirements as far as interactivity and stuff. Some people are high maintenance, some are low maintenance. Um, but I would say that that um, there's a lot more of within coaching, and I was I know a bunch of other coaches that are full time coaches. There's a lot more sort of hustle, right? You got to do do this. I've gotten really lucky and gotten to go a couple places internationally as part of a you know a, 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 an entourage for uh, the KOM. There were you know six or eight of us, so I got to go on that trip. They paid for pretty much everything. I can't think of anything I paid for. So things like that come along, but you kind of got to hustle to get where you can do those things too. Like those sort of came my way after already having written for Pez for, you know, six or seven years at that point. So I think, you know, you asked, you started at the top sort of bringing street cred to the game. I think I bring pretty good street cred to the game. I've done a lot of stuff. And And then you have to lean into that for opportunities. Well, and it's, it's, it goes back to, you know, we were talking before we came on a little bit about self-coaching versus having a coach. And to me, that's, it's just that, that, reservoir stuff to sort of put the athlete in the right frame of mind for the given situation like if you want to motivate it hopefully you can figure out how to motivate him if you need to talk him down off a ledge hopefully you can you know oh yeah you know 
blah blah happened in seventy eight, and we talked him off the ledge. So mm-hmm. I, that I think that wealth. Mm-hmm. Same thing with with PT, right? You come into a new situation, you're like, I recognize that from this, that, and the other, and these three things worked, and that one didn't, and and everyone's different. So it, I, it's a blast. I really like it. Yeah. So actually, uh, Matt did jump ahead a bit, but we do want to talk a preface, little bit about a little preface. Yeah, a little, a little teaser. T- teaser. Yeah. So we can jump into it now if you'd like. Um, we do want to have a little discussion on why should someone get a coach. So we we don't really know the. Um, I think we have a, a widespread of audience members, and we might have some really high level cyclists who probably have a coach. A lot of um, of the you know P one two riders have a coach. And we also have a lot of beginners who maybe five, four, even some cat threes are less into the the coaching realm. Um, what? Uh, why should someone get a coach? What are the advantages? Um, so the the idea here is Todd is self coached, and you know he's knowledgeable enough to host a podcast. So he's not um, a beginner. He's been riding. I mean, I'm, I'm saying your resume now for you, but... Um, well, I mean, you introduced Matt, so like... Don't, yeah, don't seems fair. Now, I mean, as a right? counterpoint, yeah. you know, obviously you've already known him over 7,000 episodes or whatever, how many of you guys have done, so... But they might not know his entire CV. So, I ugh, I don't even know if I know Todd's whole CV, but mm. the, the idea is you've been riding for a very long time. You have a lot of your own personal experiences to lean on. You prefer to coach yourself for... You know, I, I'd like to hear kind of your story and your experiences, and I'd like to hear matt's uh kind of pitch as to why someone should have a coach yes that sounds fun actually is, right, is foul language allowed because i'm a hot-tempered coach I'm no <laughs> this, this is a friendly. family yeah, right all right family cool. friendly kids and children yay all right so no, i think that's i think that's fair and i think for for me there's a couple of driving factors so one's obviously my background right it's like i, I have you know a degree in human biology with an emphasis on on exercise physiology I have the doctorate degree in physical therapy. So I have a lot of sort of practical knowledge or, you know, didactic knowledge when it comes to the sort of things. And then I've always been reading the books, right? The Joel Friel and all, all those books were like the things that I was reading when I was also reading my exercise phys textbooks, right? And I was always doing the mix and match and like, oh, well, that's interesting. Like I just read about this concept in my book and yep, here it is applied, you know, directly to, to cycling and, you know, I'm probably an outlier just for that, like at that baseline, right? Like not everyone has that background when it comes to physiology and exercise science. Uh, and I think the other, the other part is just me as an individual. I'm like a scientist at heart and I'm, I, I love the idea of um, like the quantified self movement, all about that sort of, I love the idea of, uh, you know, N equals one as a little bit of a experimentation and like testing things out. And, and of course also like, years of experience i have a pretty good idea of the sorts of training stimulus that my body responds to and i like i i just love to stick my nose in the research and say like okay huh i read that i read this protocol and that's interesting and let me think back on my knowledge and my prior experience could i apply that to my training what would i expect and then i like to go test it so for me like there's a lot of driving factors that drive me into this sort of self-coaching realm um and like i'm and I'm happy with the outcomes and I'm happy to be accountable to those outcomes. And I guess, you know, I'd, I'd like to imagine, who knows, maybe maybe I'm not good at this, but I'd like to imagine that I'm mature enough to self-assess. And like, hmm, if, I, if I feel like I'm screwing this up or I feel like I, I need help, that I would ask someone experienced like Matt. Cool. I think, I think, I mean, I think that's spot on as far as um, the average athlete's approach is is much less sort of invasive of their lives than Todd's. Whoops, sorry. Uh, at the same time, as he's, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, okay, so you found XYZ stimulus that works, but, you know, let's flip the switch and try ABC and see how the body mm-hmm. responds. And, and so I think that, um, and, and again, self-motivated uh, tends to be, self-motivation tends not to be a problem with athletes, the trick is um, uh, appropriate direction. So you have a great sort of grasp on what appropriate direction is um, what, that other writers might not. And it, I'd, I'd be really curious, like you actually are probably more numbers nerd than I am just based on background, um, just to sit down and like just dig into like, you know, what's worked for you and what what's your theory on XYZ, you know, like are you a big VO2 guy? Are you a sweet spot guy? 
if you're just building your own program, do you base it off CTL and do those things matter to you? Or is it sort of a wing it year to year, try something new? So generally, yes. Like I generally try to, to follow the principles, try to look at my training load over time, you know, take into account that there's life uh, on the outside. And I think Jason will say more than enough. And I know, I know our listeners will say like, I, I always say something along the lines like, well, you know, a stress is a stress, whether it's a training, <laughs> right. a train stress or a life stress and the body's only going to handle so much of it. And we want right. to optimize, you know, we want to optimize the stress that we handle so that our training gives us the, the best outcome and, and adapt. So if we have a really heavy week at work or something or right, what have you, that we um, adjust our training accordingly and, and try to scale that down. So, yeah, I mean, I try to follow the principles, but then I also, like I said, I like to keep my nose in the research. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting protocol. I think I want to like, let me build a block around that and see. What's your favorite recent protocol that you've that you've? Uh, the enjoyed? latest thing that I really implemented was sort of the sort of short VO two max intervals. Mm-hmm. Where you're doing like thirty seconds. Thirty second, or like, yep, yeah. yep, and then re- repeating that over and trying to do that twice a week. Um, I didn't make it full ten weeks, like the research paper said. Ooh, that's a long. Uh, yeah, it was a long. That's a long cycle. That's a long. That's a long cycle. Um, but like I said, like I like like put my head in the research and, and do do the thing that's uh, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Very happy with the result. Like that that will make a, a spot in my training program mm-hmm. when it's, and, and it's a nice variety. I, that's another thing too. Like you know, creatively, uh, creatively to be able to come up with with interesting workouts. Mm-hmm. I find that to be and I've I've kind of gotten really into the idea of using the erg stuff on training peaks to to build workouts and try to make them interesting enough that people you know. Indoor change has changed a whole lot, but I still, you got to avoid that kind of burnout factor. And I hate to say it, but I'm actually a big fan of indoor for people with jobs oh, yeah. and normal stuff. No. And it's super efficient. It, I disagree. It is. It is. It's... To a point. I mean, to a point. I, I love outdoors, but I you got to go to work. It's hard to get, it's hard uh, to get well, the right okay. mix because you got stop signs and stop lights and yep, it's... uphills where there should be downhill and I mean, I'm not a huge fan of indoor training. We're sitting in my yeah. garage, and my bike is on the trainer, and I I make good use of it. And I think it's like just practical matter of having a kid. I would not get as many rides in. Well, with I with that, I think the trainer is the best way to not enjoy cycling anymore. And uh, it, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. And, and I think it can be if you know you come from a past where it was you know you'll do three hour trainer rides because that's what you're gonna do. So I try to keep any rides I scheduled like maybe two hours, usually 90 minutes or less. Okay, that's also important. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few – in college, I had a few um, three or four-hour No metrics entries. Soft. Uh, Soft. And, well, I mean, it was snowing outside, so I didn't have a choice. Right. And base is base, and you need to do it. But, I mean, those were not motivating, the opposite of motivating. And you have to be really careful if – if you come home from work and you smash out a 90 minute interval session, I mean, that's, that can be fun. That can be motivating. You know, you get your sweat on, you feel really good afterwards. All the, all the hormones are running through, you know, you have that adrenaline mm-hmm. boost. That can be nice. Um, but other times it can feel really tedious. The air can feel really heavy. You're just overheating. You're uncomfortable. Totally. It can get really tough on the trainer as well. Totally. Totally. I, I like it. I think it as a prescriptive tool. Uh, I don't necessarily like it as um, uh, an exclusive. I mean, you got to get out and ride, and you know, having everybody that comes to races super fit as a cat five or a cat four, with you know five watts kilogram because they did all the training program. They already have genetic predisposition, and here they come and they can't turn. Like, that's nerve wracking. Which goes to the sort of the beginner racer program and things like that. That you know, communities we're lucky because NorCal community embraces the development side for riders. So many other states don't, um, and the BRP came around as a way to get coaches on the same page with what they're teaching. Right, so it's a stand, really standardized curriculum that basic you know keep yourself safe kind of stuff. That again, we're really lucky here. And part of the reason I like Peninsula Velo is that you know they're an old school foundational club. Right, we put on some races during the year, which a lot of clubs don't anymore since they took the requirement away. Um, you know, we have three, four, five, six week rides a week that have been normalized in the community for 10, 15 years. You know, those things that, that make a cycling community, I think the clubs play an important role. And so when you look at rider development, indoor is great and it does foster a certain community and a certain, you know, we use, we use Discord amongst the team, but, you know, Zwift has its own thing, but but uh, you got to get on ride, man, because it's not an indoor sport. 
I so no. I, in uh, no, not the top, top type we're talking about. But <laughs> right. there, it, it does exist. Sport, yes, and um, yeah, I think we can all agree that we don't like the uh, the indoor competitive version of cycling. Um, but so in college, I was in Delaware, which was um, just below freezing in the winter. Um, sort of that awkward temperature where it's not Boston. So all the Boston kids were really good at crits because they definitely couldn't ride outside. So they would just do one hour trainer rides and just be crit monsters. And in Delaware, you could sneak out a lot of the time, but sometimes you'd have to stay in. And we would always do really well in the road races. And it, and it's, of course, we have the opportunity to do base miles. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And so it's so interesting that, um, you know, in, in California, you can ride all year round whenever you want. And that there are a lot of very high level cyclists who come out of California and, you know, for your geography to dictate your success like that um, is, is really interesting. There's actually a study in baseball that shows something similar where you see the, the best hitters in the hall of fame tend to come from warm climates where they can play outside. Mm -hmm. And the best pitchers tend to come actually from cold climates and one of the hypotheses is that they don't wear out their arm. They're, they're just they're just fresher by the time they've done their high school and college ball, by the time they get to the big leagues, that they can have a more successful career. Whereas hitting is very much repetition, right? you got to get out and, do, and swing and see balls come and hit them and hit them and hit them to develop that high-level skill to be very successful. Huh. Well, I, I would say there's, there's a point, a counterpoint on that with the bike, which is doing, you know, doing big hour weeks, you know, everyone should do a couple of 300 mile weeks or a couple of 20 hour weeks somewhere in their cycling career, just because it's a, it's super awesome. You get to ride 20 hours, but B you change, right? They talk about grand tour riders changing after a three week tour. Well, it's the same for a recreational rider that goes through a, a solid block of responsible, big volume, you know, where you're sort of not just going out and lighten it up every day. It's not a seven day stage race, but you know, 25, 30 hour a week is, That'll change you, right? <laughs> well, and, and we talked about this in our base training episode a little bit. It's the four, the fourth hour or the fifth hour of continuous riding where your mm -hmm. only energy source is that little bit of carbohydrates that you can digest and you, how your body changes when it says, oh, I have to keep going and we're five hours in and I'm completely and how toast. how your mind changes, right? Yeah. And also like what, what pain is or how you, um, how you experience fatigue in the brain is also very different. Yeah. There's nothing better than a good bonk. A good bonk, such a fitness gainer. It's inadvertent is best. It also humbles you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're true. like, if you're when an you're hour from crawling. home. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, I averaged 11 miles an hour on the way home for the last hour. Right. You'd want to hide the power file. You're like, uh, take the hard Yeah, let me yeah. truncate that file. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me give my experience with coaching. So I've been coached since the beginning. I... I think I started coaching, working with a coach um, three months before I started collegiate racing. I think I'd done two races casually before then. But I think that I, my attitude for racing at the time, and I mean, I'm a cat one now, so it's a little different. But at the time, I was just so desperate for improvement. I wanted to race to see, I could see the progression of, you know, cat five, cat four, up to one. I could see the progression. I could see these riders racing two hours after me that were very good, very fast. And I decided that I needed the experience and I needed the knowledge of someone who had been involved for a lot longer than I had. And the, I think the biggest thing at the beginning is I was lucky to have my first coach be a very tactics focused and race focused coach so he really emphasized the this is how you win a race as opposed to this is how you get your ftp up and having the opportunity to have someone teach you how to race as opposed to just how to be fit was a really unique experience i think a lot of coaches lean on the the physiology side a lot and i think that there's also uh you know a learning aspect to being a good bike racer um, but once I progressed through with him and I moved on to another coach who was more fitness focused, I, I realized that the main advantage for me of having a coach was the pre-made workouts, the, the release of the cognitive load of trying to figure out what you should do. And also the experience of them working with other riders. 
they're gonna they know if you're gonna burn out because you've been doing vo2 max intervals for four weeks now or or whatever um you know physiological signals indicate that there's something that might be going wrong they have so much experience for you to um you know gain from but not you don't need to accrue it you can just get the advantage of it and i think that's really valuable and i think that um also the the cognitive load decrease of okay let me just pull up training peaks let me see what my workout is okay this is how long it is i'll budget that time for the day and you know we're good to go and you can focus on i was in college for most of this time so i can work, focus on my studies i can um you know focus on social stuff as opposed to you know worrying about oh my should i really do this intensity now or um you know that self-doubt of is this the right workout or am i doing the right thing it's like a cheat sheet for fast yeah it's coaching. well it's like uh, it's walking phrase cheat sheet for fast walking on the shoulders of giants right <laughs> is really what sure. it is yeah um, nice if we use the the scientific term for um that, that's what they talk about with white papers so um i'm i'm pro coaching i guess if we're gonna take a take a stance here <laughs> yeah todd what's up man yeah. todd's anti-coaching no i i think todd todd brings enough to the table that if if he feels like he hasn't run up against a wall for himself uh then you know right on as a coach i'd love to like you know look and see and see what i can look at like, oh, you can you know, what is your is, well yeah so. like what is your role in ctl what percentage of training volume has been at zone three versus zone five plus you know do you use optimized intervals and how has mm -hmm. that responded for you and, well i think the other thing to note is todd basically got a degree in in coaching anyway uh yeah you know, totally. and if you're willing to do that then not having a coach is fine but i think a lot of people it's like Todd wants to discover the results of his N of one experiments and he wants to develop as he learns and reads these papers and, uh, you know, has a variety of experiences. If you want to try and win your local crit, that's a bit of a different ask. Yeah. You know? Oh, I, yeah, I certainly will acknowledge. I mean, like the random story is like there was a time where for six weeks I was commuting on my bike 60 miles each day, which is ridiculous. It was a lot of commuting, but I got got a really great result in a crit. Well, because really yeah. I was really fit, right? I mean, I didn't do a single sprint. I just basically rode base miles for you just know away from whatever three hundred miles a week for six weeks because huh. that's what was needed. Awesome. Um, and I was like in crazy good shape, and you know, it wasn't an intentional experiment. It was just like a function of what needed to get done because I was a student and the option i couldn't drive i was 30 because there was an 18 dollar parking fee so I'm like well guess i'm gonna ride my bike because that's that makes sense and taking the train didn't work and whatever so i did it I'm like oh, would i do it again no that was ridiculous but you know it was it was, like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. a fun experiment your right? body and, fat percentage was like three percent i oh, met or something i mean it was basically i woke up i ate a bunch i rode to the clinic i i i, I worked but like I think the, the biggest problem was the volume of food I had to carry <laughs> like and trying to figure like that was actually the interesting evolution that I got over the you know, six weeks. Like, how do I pack enough calories in my backpack that's actually edible without weighing myself down too much so that I can not bonk on the way home and then eat and then go to bed and do it again the next day? Wow. It's like the, the perfect little microcosm of yeah. I mean, like again like and to me it was like oh this is a fascinating experiment let me do it right whereas I, i'm sure there are many other people like what wh how are you enjoying this what's like what's yeah. fun intellectually about that that seems terrible well and, and goals too right <laughs> if again if 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 a rider comes and you know is they, all they want to do is ride centuries right so the the use of a coach in that realm is it's a different set of goals is a different a, a relationship is a different sort of motivation um, I have a, a guy that I'm coaching that does like crazy ultra distance stuff. Like he just signed up for, I don't know, it's like 2000 kilometers of race across Europe. Well, that's a whole different thing, man. Like, you know, you can't just go out and, and throw TSS at that guy, if, you know, go do 7,000 TSS this week and we'll see how you, you know, so he's lucky cause he's retired. So he's got time to ride, but at the same time, you can't just throw him on the bike and be like, okay, go ride for 10 hours. You have to, in my opinion, you sort of have to schedule that so that it's, you know, cumulative at some point and how far can you push? And like, I automatically mm -hmm. want to take Todd and like, okay, 
let's see if those numbers are valid, baby. Mm. Yeah, let's run it. Because yeah. <laughs> he does a lot of testing. He probably has great numbers, so a great baseline of stuff to play with and then say, okay, well, can we change this parameter, this parameter to meet this goal, mm-hmm. right? Or just projects. You know, a lot of athletes come with fun projects they want to do, like the the 300-watt guy for five hours. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating that it's, it's really about what the athlete wants to get out of it, of uh, do I want to learn about my body? Do I want right. to enjoy the social aspect? Probably don't need a coach. But if I have this crazy uh, idea of doing this crazy fitness task, a uh, coach is going to be able to use their experience and their um, knowledge of the, you know, how the human body works, how, you know, how well developed you are currently, where you would need to be to put you on the right track. And, and there's something you said too. I mean, there's, you know, the imposition of structure for almost anybody generally is going to result in improvement, mm-hmm. right? So introducing structure to riders is, is an easy way to like, you know, validate yourself as a coach. At the same time, then it becomes that longitudinal relationship where you go, okay, so this year we hit this metric. How can we get to the next metric, right, next time? And, and I mean, there's a social a social component. We, I, we have a lot of stuff to do with the team as far as, you know, being on site for races. And uh, we do a monthly meeting where I have to go and talk about a topic and cover an hour and stuff. So there's, you know, it's, yes, from the top what it's like. There's just so much different stuff to do. And it's all fun and it's easy to sort of go down a rabbit hole for a little while and, you know, you accomplish something in that little rabbit hole and then you switch over to this other one and, you know, whether it's plugging in workouts for an athlete and suddenly you've got to design an ad, a workout, you know, and come up with an erg that's going to be functional for what you want to accomplish and, you know, time, days just fly before you know it. And so I don't, you know, last year I rode pretty well. I did a lot of riding, um, but it's not like every day I'm, you know, on my bike just chilling out and having cocoa and there's always stuff there's always stuff to do I'm, i stay super busy <laughs> yeah but the hours are definitely more fluid of not yeah like, i slept until like 9 30 today because yeah I, your boss isn't like mm-hmm. hey it's uh it's 905 you're five minutes late to work <laughs> yeah uh, that's true that's true I, I worked at a university for seven years and it was obviously a university job so it was pretty casual but it was in campus recreation which makes it even more casual um so i did have some sense of responsible and i worked Is at that the, so I that's came. the university version of a gym teacher right <laughs> no it's like the gym teacher's coordinator uh, okay so i had i don't know i had like 12 instructors that worked for me doing fitness classes and i ran all the adventure stuff so if we wanted to go skiing and we want to go hiking okay let's go so it's kind of like a gym teacher but we get to play outside more mm-hmm. and we don't actually run the gym because it's auxiliary i guess that's interesting because some coaches are i have athletes i give them workouts and you as the head coach of peninsula velo also you know, you maintain the team and you do a lot more than just plan workouts for athletes. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the, the it's in some regards, it's the easiest thing to do because we try and do two or three calendars for the team that they can pick from and off they go. And we try to build it around whatever the target races are for the team or if someone's on a small HIT limited availability schedule. Those are pretty easy to do. But now we've taken it to another level. We're trying to implement some, you know, lactate testing for the next round to actually take the athletes, measure them, put them through a protocol and retest at the end. So it's taken a little bit of a shift more towards sort of playing with the science, um, which is really fun. But um, that ends up being, mm, I don't know, half-ish of what I do, the coaching stuff. But yeah, I mean, so so they went to nationals and they came back from nationals and I couldn't go because we can cover it later, but I fell off my bike. Um, And they came back with all of the stuff destroyed. So I got to wash tents for like three days <laughs> and clean stuff and put it away and stack it and make sure it's all, you know, nice and usable and stuff. So that's pretty typical for a small business. You know, yeah. you're like, you're like, I'm a coach, but today I'm a tent cleaner. Yeah. You get really good at stuff in cars full of stuff. If yeah. You're coaching. If you're, if you're like interactive and out and stuff, and I'm not even that busy. Like I do, I probably go to 15 or 20 races a year for team stuff. And then, well, yeah, 30. Um, but, you know, that's not. You also, um, you you host a race every year. Oh, yeah. I'm a race director for Brisbane, which is super fun. I've only done that for two years. The Brisbane's um, very popular. Uh, yeah, the last it went really years. well last year. Um, so the race has been around for a long time. Tom Simpson used to run it uh, under the um, uh, Pilarcitos banner. He also did the cyclocross stage race stuff. Uh, it was great. Bay Area Super Prestige. Um, and then it went away for, well, maybe four or five years. I think the last one, like 2011 or 2012. And the team was looking to do another race because Burling Game, which they had done for 
25 or 30 years was going to Ray because the downtown was, um, they changed the downtown layout and it wasn't conducive to racing. So they're like, okay, we want to put another race on. And we thought that would be a good one. And Tom's part of the club. Uh, so he was amenable to the idea. And I think we had 400 and like 470 racers wow. last year, race yeah. days. So some people race multiple. We try to set the calendar. So it's multiple, uh, opportunities, uh, all premiums. So, uh, I I think prims are fun. Everyone gets motivated, but I really looked at it from a development standpoint. It's you know fifteen opportunities to sprint in a race instead of one, so you can sprint. So there was try no something different. Prize money at the end, just premiums. No, or? you know at the end we actually gave away like prize bags, and okay. Summit came through huge and gave us a bunch of great stuff to give away. So really nice prize bags, and they got winner got a jersey, and they got free entry for next year. Um, so we, you know, it was, it was three deep. I don't like five deep podiums, right? Three podiums, three. This proper, is California. Five, right? uh, in California, we always do five deep podiums yes. because we're a participation. There's a reason my daughter moved to Colorado to continue her education. No, yeah. Where I came from, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's three deep. It's three, man. And uh, Five is, okay, here, here, I hope you get a lot of email, a lot of like, man, what's wrong with that guy, man? Don't put your stupid bike in front of the podium if you're a Cat 4 or a Cat 2. Nobody cares. It ruins a picture for everybody else. It's very selfish. We, we can see Matt is uh, quite opinionated on the... Well, there's things that are irritating, right? Like, riders that don't bother to learn how to turn, irritating. Yeah. Well, um, I want to say something about the podium. The <laughs> uh, I, I remember being in an 11-person road race. You bike in front of the podium, don't you? No, I don't. Good okay, answer, Todd. Well, see I, like, me raise him right at Pin Valley. So what is the... You put the bike in front because it's your sponsor's bike, right? Isn't that why? Yeah, but, but if you're like... A, Did you, you're if, you saying, pay, if you paid for the bike... You don't put it in front. You know, yeah. okay. If you get the bike free, even then, trust me, they're not using it in marketing. But and not, no one, not, in, no, not one you. In, no one in marketing is like, sweet, there's Bob Smith. He won the Cat 4 Criterium at Brisbane for the third year in a row. Awesome. Um, Nobody cares. That's true. Bob but upgrade. but I would upgrade. say for your team jersey, you should have a clean jersey on. Yes. Podium presentation is a different thing. I'm talking yeah. about like the... gratuitous placement of your dumb bike. Okay. <laughs> Looking good on the podium. Another irritant. Like I got my flip flops and my jeans and my other sponsor's hat. And you should sponsor me next year. because once pretty... So I've been on every, think... pretty much every side of the sponsorship gig. When I first got hired to Specialized, when I came to California, I was a sponsorship coordinator. So I saw everybody's application to come and race for Specialized and you get like numb to the experience. Fortunately, we had a, a pretty good process to go through them. I've also been on like several search committees. So you see all kinds of stuff across your desk that's mediocre. They're not looking at your Facebook page podium finish with your bike. Okay, I'll stop. But I got but I got ten likes on that video on that uh, <laughs> awesome. on that picture. Yeah, right. So let's talk a little bit about if, if you want to talk about your crash. Uh, yeah, let's totally talk about um, Well, Sweet. I think it it's was a good a big, story. It was a big deal. Well, it's funny because um, for the last, I don't know, a long time, five, six, ten years, it's uh, my whole mantra has been, and I've taught bunches of clinics to lots of riders at different levels, crashing is optional. Crashing is optional. If you put yourself in a position where you're going to crash, you know, hopefully you'll learn and don't do that again. Because most crashes, you make a mistake and something happens. And then there's the ones that sort of come up and take you just because. Every once in a while, you're the victim. But a lot of the time, you're complicit. Yeah, sticking your wheel inside a corner at, at 25 miles an hour and, you know, hoping for the best is sort of asking for trouble. Because you don't know what that person's going to do. Which is, again, one of my fundamentals with people that have really great fitness but no no pack skills and no interest in getting pack skills. You talked about cat three, fours and, and fives that, you know, maybe they want to get a coach or they think they're, you know, they're a cat three. I'm, you know, I already know a bunch of stuff. Cat three is the most dangerous field out there because they go just a little bit mm -hmm. faster and they're just a little bit more like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to mm -hmm. go into this corner. Um, not to take away from what we were previously talking about, but yeah. So, um, well, I guess crash. this is a bit embarrassing. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. Just, <laughs> Throwing well, under the bus. Uh, well, sort of. Uh, well, I heard the story. You know, you just hit a pothole. And oh yeah, you, I you're wish. just down. I, I wish. I don't even know what I hit. I don't think I hit anything. Is the problem. Um, so as Montalvo, Ville Montalvo, coming down, there's little speed bumps. I went through the first speed bunch, which, which has a split between it. So I'm like, I'll ride between that. And next thing I know, I'm going over the front end of the bike and. Mm. I, I don't remember. Really, a really hard piece of air. I think. That's I'm hoping it was wheel. like maybe it was ice or something because uh, I didn't even I didn't even feel the front wheel go, and I'm going through the air and I'm it's weird because I'm looking at the thing and I don't know how far away it is because I haven't been back, 
but I could see a little bit of grass or green. I'm like, I'm going to try to land on the green, whatever it was. While you're flying through the air? Yeah. I'm going like this. And I'm like, green, land there because I hate road rash. Sure. So I'm like, try to land something soft. So I'm going for the thing to land on the safe, soft thing. And then I don't remember anything until I woke up in the MRI machine. Whoa. They're trying to stuff me in the MRI machine with my arm. I'm like, ow, ow. Ow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wrong. And uh, so, what's the what's the injury count there? Uh, at the time, let's see. We got eleven cracked ribs, uh, punctured lung, and twelve uh, cracked transverse processes. Whoa. According to the doctor, they they showed me an MRI, but he was talking really fast. He was a cool guy, but he's like, "Yeah, oh, there you can see the broken bone, and there's another one." And I'm like, yeah, it's like, well, that's a bit like you when you're talking about coaching stuff, you know. A little fast, my yeah. mom says that too. <laughs> I'll try to slow down my vernacular, but uh, it hurt a lot. I spent two days, two and a half days in intensive care, and another two days in trauma, well, and then I got out, and it hurt a lot for a yeah. long time. Well, that's a pretty extreme experience. Uh, I've never had, now I have to knock on every piece of wood yeah. uh, I can find. I've never had anything nearly that bad in terms of crashes. Um, yeah. And I've been racing for seven years now. So. Um, I don't recommend. I was going like 18 miles an hour. I looked at the file. Uh, and, you know, thanks to Santa Clara County Park and Recs, they came. I had one of my athletes was with me. And apparently I was awake enough. I He said I passed out for about 30 seconds. But then I was awake enough to give him my phone and go through the thing so he could call people. He called my dad and he's from Russia. <laughs> my dad thought it was a joke. He thought it was a prank call. He's like, come on, this is a prank call. I know it's not. He's like, my son doesn't crash like that. And, and plus he sounds completely like he's, you know, I've got $1 million for you. And he's a great guy because he stayed with me and he was super worried. But uh, he doesn't know how I crashed either. So hmm. it was just a boom. Yeah. Yeah, it sucked. That's, uh, happens fast sometimes. What's your worst crash, Todd uh, Norwood? <sighs> worst crash. Um, I mean, I I lost it going on eighty four about forty miles an hour one time. Oh, I heard this story before. Um, yeah. yeah, front just, end or back end? Uh, well, so yeah, yeah. It turns out if you uh, <laughs> enter a, a corner that's posted at twenty at forty, hmm. e, there's not enough friction to hmm. allow you to make the turn and stay upright so this is um on the back side of the south ridge in norcal like 84 84 84 going this way or the other side to pescadero no no right? no it's coming oh, down, down this side coming oh. down towards there's some fast side. corners on that no it was most way down yeah that's some fast corners yeah. left left hand turn and just both wheels broke loose yeah, yeah. and and you were pretty slid. young too right i was like I don't know, 1920 maybe at the time, hmm. um, which is probably good because a little younger heel faster. But the so the worst part of that, you know, to your point about not liking road rash, is that um, it's good and bad. It I rolled, so I got it on both hips. So it's like <laughs> you know, on on the plus side, well, it's not as deep or as bad on the one hip, but you got nowhere you can sleep. Right, oh. like you're stuck sleeping on your oh. back, quite rigid. So. You know, it is what it is. Learn, learn the lesson there about you know about traction and um, you know all all Man. the wiser now. If you only have to learn the lesson once, you're doing pretty good. The one before uh, in 2014, I was coming off Mount Eden, and a deer comes out of the river. Like, whoa! That was four broken ribs, but I didn't get knocked out, and I actually whoa. just got a ride to the hospital and left. Um, yeah, so you know, sometimes crashing is uh, permissible. Like when you completely have no yeah, other option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but there's a lot you can do too to avoid crashes, especially in racing. I think crashes in racing, a lot of times they come down to someone else making a mistake and other people overreacting yeah, as opposed to the guy that caused a crash. Like he probably did one thing, but they become big yeah, pileups when yeah, other guys multiplies. make bad decisions. So. Yeah. I had a string of accidents when I was getting my cat too. I was like three points away and I kept, like I couldn't podium. Uh, to get these last few points to to get in the P12s and I kept crashing because I was busy looking at the pack to try and figure out how to move up in the last few laps and the person in front of me takes the corner way too slow and I Ooh. you know you know just just swipe their front wheel you know these are all slow slow speed crashes but they're past the free lap yep. and like little things like that are are um 
it's just really tough to race and to get everything right. And if you're focusing on one thing and you're also, your heart rate's 170 and uh, there's 50 people in the race and uh, there's cones and um, it can get pretty hectic. So, well, so if you could tell that story, I could tell my other semi-crash story from, okay. my, from my first Cat 3 race. So like, got my upgrade on a Saturday and I'm going to race on Sunday because, well, I'm Cat 3. So like, yeah, I got a race, right? Like I got to use this new license and I'm doing, you know, presumably doing all the right things in my mind. And I'm like, I'm in decent position, starting the bell lap, come around the first corner, and it's, it, there's a median, there's a grassy median on the right-hand corner, there's a grassy median on the left side, all the way at the edge. And somebody crashes like three, four riders in front of me, and I'm like, I see that, that's not good, but you know what? I'm a mountain biker, so, and this is a grassy median, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to laterally bunny hop up onto this grassy median. And I'm going to ride this thing out and I'm going to get right back up on the wheel because that's what I'm going to do. So I bunny hop up on the grassy median. It's all good. And the guy's bike rotates and it's right, like <laughs> oh, just man. comes oh, right in front of me and just like, and it's not flat. It's like flipped up. So it's like, like if it was flat, maybe I had a chance to bunny hop it. But no, it's like flipped up vertically and just like, luckily, like good news, like I crashed on the grass. It's all good. It's soft. I was so pissed. I was like, oh. Here I did the right thing. Like I bunny cool hopped. Like, I was gonna look yeah. so like you know this is like before GoPro and YouTube are cool, but like I'm I'm sure I looked so cool bunny hopping up onto the median. And that guy's just gonna like skirt right by. And no, no, that was that was that. His bike had to come up in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm actually gonna give a little teaser for our next episode. Um, also with Matt, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the beginner racer curriculum and give you guys a little um, insight into the curriculum, maybe some ideas for uh, what you can do if you are interested in racing. And um, crashes are a big topic for new riders. Uh, there's a bit of a, some people call it crash, what, crash five instead of cat five, oh, right. <laughs> um, because you have to learn how the pack moves. You have to learn how to be safe for yourself. And uh, hopefully we'll cover some of that in the next episode, but uh, there's your teaser. So come back next week uh the only other thing we have uh which is oh so appropriate right now um but before we say that of course you know like us follow us on wherever you get your podcast share with your friends uh get the word out we'd love to share our our experiences and, and matt's wisdom with uh with as many people as possible and of course uh with with the end of our episode topic um our my oh so appropriate advice well, uh, wait, wait, Todd, I'm not, I'm, I'm not done yet. You're not. The, oh, oh, Jeez, man. Todd, oh, my I mean, God. Really? I'm cutting you off. This is a bit less professional <laughs> than our other episodes, but, um, well, I was actually I gonna, gonna hear what you were saying. Yeah, I thought you were, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. I was going to plug Matt actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. hold on, Todd. Oh, yeah. well, let's in, that get back to in that case, yeah, well, let's get to the, let's get to the business at hand here. Uh, well, you know, Matt is a coach. We wanted to thank him for coming on the podcast. We'll include his website okay. and some information about him in case, uh, he, you do do, um, do do personal you, coaching <laughs> you do personal coaching and you do um telecoaching as well like yeah. you could train an athlete who's not necessarily local yeah as well. i have lots of athletes that are local uh it's great um in fact a few of them hopefully are gonna come out this summer and hang out in norcal for a little wow. while so we'll so see. um yeah, sure. yeah i'll uh we'll put his website in the show notes um give you the opportunity to contact him if you uh, are interested in working with him i uh, I think he's a knowledgeable coach. Hopefully, <laughs> I, think, he, I think he's proven it out. Actually. Yeah, I think, okay. I think he right. will Excellent. make you... Excellent, past uh, test, solid. Got invited yeah. back for a second show already. Yay. <laughs> sorry. Um, so, yeah, Todd, now you can... Uh... Okay, sorry. I almost jumped the gun, but, you know, as we always say, uh, until next time, keep the upper side down. <laughs>